Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into our Family Office Solutions podcast series. My name is Mark Tepsik, and I'm the Family Office Design and Governance Strategist for our Family Office Solutions team here at UBS. Family Office Solutions is a team of dedicated specialists who work with our private wealth advisors to deliver holistic advice to the firm's wealthiest families. We're solely focused on advancing our platform and resources targeted to the family office segment. The focus of today's discussion will be around how non-family member employees and executives navigate the role in family offices and family businesses. In short, how non-family members in a family enterprise navigate family dynamics. We're joined by Marianne Bell of Wingspan Legacy Partners. Marianne has nearly 30 years of experience in the financial services industry. At Wingspan, where she's a partner, she helps family offices and family businesses align their governance, operational, and family practices. Marianne, I want to thank you for joining me today to offer some thoughtful insights. So what do you say we dive right in? Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Marianne. So perfect. Marianne, can you give us a brief background on Wingspan? Sure, sure. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, Wingspan has its roots in education. Our founder, Christina Wing, has been an educator for uh, almost a dozen years at Harvard Business School. She designed a, a platform and a curriculum for the MBA program called uh, Demystifying the Family Enterprise. She's uh, uh, converted much of that programming into more specialized programs for the exec ed, which are typically executives or family members who are more further advanced in their careers. She has three that she's um, overseeing right now. One is for families in business, where it's a multi-generational approach, uh, in- engagement, so two or three different members of the family come and they spend two or three days together at uh, Harvard Business School. There's also a family uh, family office platform where oftentimes family office executives come to do ongoing education. And then we've recently launched a, um, a next-gen platform for or a rising-gen platform for younger uh, members of families who are uh, sometimes, sometimes family office um, non-family executives also attend, but people who are coming into uh, more senior uh, management roles. And so the roots of that educational experience allow for us to have lots of different exposure to families in business, family offices all over the world, different stages, early stages, middle stages, and late stages. And that's the roots of Wingspan. Many of those um, early relationships started with particip- uh, you know, either an MBA or a participant in the exec ed program that Christina oversees, and people have said, hey, can you help us? And so that's really where we started, and we now have families all over the world. We work with families who are in the first or second generation. We also have some families who are in the sixth, seventh, and eighth generation. So it's a little different dynamic in each one of those situations, of course, as all of your, your constituents know. Um, every situation is very different and interesting and unique. Perfect, yeah. So glad to uh, bring that to our to our listeners today. So. So that's Wingspan. I'd love to hear a little bit about yourself and how your background helped to prepare you to be a family business and family enterprise advisor. Well, thanks. Um, you know, we all have chapters in our lives, and um, I don't know if anybody who's listening here woke up when they became an adult and said, I want to work in a family enterprise. Now, family members, of course, often have that that discussion uh, early on in their lives, but our focus today is on on, on non-family members, and many of us, uh, myself included, have kind of come to this with different parts of experiences. I started my career in the financial services world. 
um, working in both investment banking and sales and trading. I uh, ran and managed different product groups, both in the United States and in Europe. And so I had a, had a lens on uh, really, I mean, the financial services industry, of course, as you know, Mark, is a, is a highly regulated industry with lots of governance. And so that gave me an early, early lens on protocol and process. And of course, in the financial services world, that gives you a lot of, a lot of um, background on operations and financial oversight. I, um, for the last 10 years, have really pivoted that experience into serving in um, several uh, governance and board roles. I've actually served on seven boards and chaired four of them. So have a very good experience on different types of organizations and the governance that's, that's, that's required. And um, I would say my, my kind of parallel track on that was um, working with a lot of uh, philanthropic organizations. And so that's that next step of wealth creation, which is um, the exciting part of, of sharing it and developing and giving it away to organizations that you think align with your goals and missions. Yeah, so great background. And you sort of alluded to it earlier that each family is different. Each um, issue is kind of unique to the family. But what are some common challenges that family enterprises face when dealing with family dynamics? Well, you know, again, um, I would say one phrase that we hear from every single family that we work with is there are things they don't talk about. And whether it's just um, it's areas that are difficult, areas in which the kind of courage to discuss is not quite there yet, or in some cases, it's a generational and age-appropriate kind of hesitation to reveal. A lot of that involves money. So the things that don't talk about um, often involve succession. Um, certainly, uh, money absolutely becomes um, part of that kind of sensitive issue. Policies and procedures. You know, families have this lovely and wonderful dynamic of love and affection and care. But in some cases, some of that can get a little bit um, – highly concentrated on one or two individuals. And so there can be a favorite child or there can be the oldest son or there can be a favorite daughter. And so some of those dynamics don't really get um, disentangled and then they get put into the family enterprise arena. And that's where it gets a little complicated for non-family executives. Yeah. So we we like to call that the elephant in the room, right? Everybody knows it's yeah. there. Nobody wants to discuss it because as you noted, you need the courage to do that. And oftentimes what I find is families know that they need to talk about this. The courage, um, and frankly, I don't necessarily want to use the word courage, but they just don't know if they bring up this or that issue, what is going to come next, right? Like how is that going to change the dynamics of the family? And, you know, especially for families that have, very positive dynamics. They know that this is like often the third rail and what happens if that's discussed. And a lot of these are frankly hard conversations. So it makes complete sense. Yep. But you so, know, Mark, you use a really good, good word when you say the elephant in the room. It, I think it, think about what an elephant is. An elephant's a big thing. And of course, these are oftentimes big issues. And so that heaviness, I think, weighs on people and that holds them back because it seems too big to even even tackle. And I think one way of um, dismantling or disrupting that kind of 
hesitancy and, and courage is a big heavy word. So I, I thank you for, you know, qualifying that. I, I don't know if it always requires courage. But what, what I, I actually like to, as opposed to saying that it's an elephant, I like to say instead of, instead of a fire hose, which would be kind of the elephant analogy, I say, I always like to encourage people to do the drip, drip, drip. If you think about a, 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 a sponge as, as an idea and how does that idea start to kind of galvanize? If you put drip, drip, drip of water into that sponge, it can fill. But if you do a fire hose, sometimes it flicks off. And, you know, to your point, that, that third rail, I think, is one of the biggest fears that people have when they start talking about these difficult issues. Is it going to turn into something bad? Yeah. No, I mean, and this is a, you know, we're really, it's the family office executive, right, that we're speaking to. And so they have to operate within, within this environment of the dynamics and, you know, for lack of a better analogy, the elephant in the room or the sponge in the fire hose. But a big component of that is trust, right? As a family office executive or as a family business executive, and how do you establish and maintain maintain trust with family members as a non-family executive? Well, it's, it's super important, and um, I think it has to be very intentional. You know, I'm sure that many of the people who are listening to this have wonderful. Uh, abilities to develop relationships. But one of the things you have to be mindful of is when you're working with a family is that you have to be extremely careful and thoughtful about your language and your and and who you talk to. Your 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 body language and your actual activity are observed. And so I think certainly candor is a starting point and honesty, but thoughtful and careful use of words particularly when you're starting to the drip, drip, dip of starting to talk about difficult conversations is important. I think you also want to be mindful of not, you know, I talked about the favoritism that often happens in families. You as a non-family executive have to be very mindful of not being, uh, picking favorites in the family. And so you want to be careful to talk both across generations and up and down generations. And again, it may not be appropriate based on the subject matter, how far you go up and down generations. I mean, often up, is more common than down. Um, but I think, and, and, you know, sharing appropriate information is helpful. One of the things you often see in families is that ownership um, and uh, uh, authority are not fully aligned. So you could have a generation where it could be two or three members of the family have equal ownership, but really the authority is one person. And in those cases, while the non-family executive may be liaising with the authority member on any difficult topic. It's also mindful to think about the appropriate strategy to share all those who have ownership and how to get them informed and posted or engaged in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned favorites, um, meaning as the non-family member executive or employee, and let's just use family office as an example, you know, a family office executive, you're supposed to help these families make decisions or guide them to decisions. And let's be honest, not all the family all always agrees or aligned on a specific direction. And so if you're seen as playing favorites, then it looks like you can't be an unbiased or objective, Correct. really arbiter. And so from that, I mean, if, if that is kind of the road that's taken by that non-family member, you're only going to be seen as serving one branch or really one component of that family. 
Correct. Rather than being a neutral and objective arbiter. Um, no, I mean, I, I've just seen that kind of just take a very tragic route uh, or tragic direction, I should say. So um, thank you for bringing up that really you can't play favorites in this space. Well, even, I mean, I'll tell you another dynamic that we've even experienced and, and again, it's, it's an intentionality and it's a, it's a bit of a, um, you know, just an awareness and a, a kind of a, a, I don't want to say it's a checklist, but just be mindful of all of the, the dynamics of the family. We have, um, one family that we work with and we enjoy them very much. Um, but one other service provider, um, of course, you know, particularly in a family office arena, there's lots of service providers and every family office is different. Sometimes it's an internal service provider. Sometimes it's a external often earlier stage family offices have external legal accounting, other kind of uh, people that can be part of the team. Um, we have one external service provider who absolutely perceived as being um, only serving the oldest member of the family and the rest of the family has resentment and kind of, disparaging comments and continues to feel like they're not being treated or they're not, they're, they're considered their, their, their interests and input is not being considered. And so I think, I think, um, you know, that's also something that's a little bit delicate for that non-family business member to navigate the role, not just serving the family, but with the whole continuum of the community that's working with the family. So, you know, you, you know, I, 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 I don't, this other person doesn't doesn't work for us and doesn't work. Um, I, I have no reporting structure to that person or to, nor they to me. But the the point is that um, you know we want to make sure everybody can work together. And so trying to design platforms and orchestrations so that everybody has access to different family members and, and provides the respectful dialogue and input it's, that allows for people to feel they have agency and that they're heard, even if at the end of the day perhaps the lead authority member is going to be the, you know, whether there's equal ownership or not, the authority member oftentimes is the final say in a lot of big directional uh, decisions that other people can feel heard. I think people can feel heard, but not necessarily, their their opinions aren't necessarily acted upon, but it's just a dynamic of how they feel like they've been engaged in the process. Yeah. Um, it's a challenging environment you know, the family environment, right, and having to navigate those dynamics. And so you may have covered this a little bit, but what strategy should be used for effective communication with family members, considering both professional and personal aspects? Well, first of all, you know, kind of a very simple rule of know your audience is always very important. One of the things that you often uh, uncover in working with different family members is there's different levels of interest and background and knowledge and, and maybe even capacity for a subject matter. And so you have to really make sure you tailor your message to meet that person where they are. You know, we work with some families where there's a lot of um, educational expertise associated with the industry. And so one family member may have a very high academic degree. And so they know the terminology and the expertise. And so they can speak a very fluid language at, on that industry other family members have no or limited knowledge on that industry or even have very much less knowledge on business in general. And so you have to make sure you tailor your message and your communication to meet a person to be able to, to know where they are and so that they can hear you and understand. 
Um, I'll tell you the other thing that we do often, and I think it's I think it's helpful. You you want everyone to engage in meetings and feel like they can be helpful. So we do maybe if you call it the meeting before the meeting, and that is um, we will particularly meet with non as a non family member. We will meet with family members who are who are less knowledgeable or less experienced to be contributors in whether it's a board meeting or other kind of serious decision-making arenas, and we prepare them to be prepared for the meeting. In other words, we'll give them full briefings on the materials. We ask them what questions that may have. We can even go back and forth on dialogue on different areas in which they're interesting to them, that they might want to be a contributor to the conversation or the dialogue. And again, it just allows for um, meeting each person where they are, allowing them to get as prepared as they can be and informed as they can be. And I think it shows a lot of respect for people you know, just because they're not an industry expert doesn't mean their opinion isn't valid. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'll agree with that. Um, I mean, I've seen some of the best probably questions or comments made in, you know, these family meetings come from the person who's really not in a day-to-day role um, with the family, meaning coming from the family. And I've seen the artist ask the question, you know, the family artist ask the question that nobody is really asking or is afraid to ask, or they're, you know, maybe they're just in tune more with the emotional side of their brain, but sometimes they'll ask the most incisive questions that nobody can really put their finger on. And that person can do it for whatever reason. Mark, I totally agree with that. I, I, I it, it's interesting that you say an artist because we actually have a family uh, that we're working with right now who has the industry that they're in is a very specialized industry. And it is the artist who asks really smart questions but I will tell you, she has a bit of, um, you know, there's a phrase, of course, that I'm sure people have heard, which is imposter syndrome, which she, she says, you know, you know, not so much do I have the right. Of course, that person has the right to be in the room and to ask questions, but they feel a little uncomfortable. They feel not quite in the same arena as some other more experienced members of the family or even even non-family execs uh, who are in the room. So they're inti- they're intimidated. And so giving them that that kind of confidence to ask that really smart, out-of-the-box question is a really valuable way in which non-family executives can can um, just improve decision-making and input. I, I completely agree with you. I think that thinking out-of-the-box is the phrase that's often used or left-wing or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's a really good way to allow for broader thinking. Yep. Um, all right, perfect. So. Can you share, you know, maybe an example of a challenging situation or conflict that you faced or that you witnessed uh, a non-family exec face within a family enterprise? And how did you maybe not help them navigate that situation? You know, I think one of the, again, going back to the communication and favoritism and unfortunately even kind of gossipy or unkind language sometimes can evolve from any organization any group. So this is not <laughs> at all the subject only of family businesses or family offices, but it does happen. And we had a new non-family exec, a first-time non-family exec uh, serving, this was in a family business, but serving in a family business role that was very senior. And uh, one of the family members would pull that person aside and gossip about other family members. And um, it was really unsettling and in and, and, and 
inappropriate and, and not helpful. And it kind of fermented and kind of activated really negative thinking um, from that family member. And this person didn't know what to do. They just felt stuck. So when we coached this non-family member, we really talked to them about learning how to set boundaries, how to redirect and um, how to construct an engagement so it is productive. Because at the end of the day, non-family members are here to 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 help a family continue and advance its organization, whether it's a family business or family office or whatever the philanthropic platform is. You know, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm going to cut to the chase on you here, uh, Mark, and say, you know, the bottom line is that non-family executives are, are, are vital, are critical, are just paramount for family businesses because families alone or sorry family enterprises I should say uh, family families alone can't do it by themselves they need non-family members very very um, critically so coaching non-family members how to disentangle themselves from these awkward and you know difficult conversations that really get you caught into some of the family dynamics that are unhealthy is something that I think is really important and to be mindful of yeah, I mean, that's great advice because, you know, on a long enough timeline, that non-family member is going to be exposed to some of those things that you had mentioned, which is, you know, um, kind of gossip and just getting, I don't want to use the word dragged down into family dynamics, but they're just, they're just going to have to swim within it and how they swim is really up to them. But, you know, that's great advice that you gave. And so switching gears, maybe a tad, um, you know, and you had hit on it earlier, right, with the artist um, and meeting family members where they're at as far as knowledge and skills. So how do you suggest non-family execs address the difference in business acumen or maybe investment acumen among family members? And what are some effective strategies and tools you would recommend for that? You know, I actually, I, I kind of feel like this is such a great opportunity because um, – Look, everyone comes to bring something. I mean, you, you talked about the artist, and I talked about an artist, and it was just a great way to say everybody can, can contribute. But um, the other thing is it's nice to give people education. You know, the roots of Wingspan are education, so we love to be educators. And we're always thinking about ways in which we can continue to educate the family on what's going on. So I think non-family members need to be mindful of thinking through where people are and how to get them to the level that, they want to go. You know, not everyone wants to become the aeronautic engineer because guess what? They're never going to be there. They're just not going to do it. That's not their interest. Um, but giving people information and ongoing education throughout uh, whatever the, the cycle of the family enterprises, if the family offices or family business, one of the things we like to do is um, create a very structured and intentional communication cadence. And it's targeted towards different generations. Some uh, adult members who are owners of a business or owners of a family, or, you know, have participation in a family office. They're really not necessarily involved in getting, in, not interested in getting involved in, in kind of regular operating activity. But they'd like to have whether it's a quarterly update, or of course, you know, we strongly recommend annual family meetings. Sometimes even quarterly family meetings are very important. Uh, if it's a family business, we like to update people on uh, the the um, quarterly business operations of the business. One of the things that's been really fun is um, we create really thoughtful educational uh, forums for our rising gen. So when I say rising gen, it's, you know, every family is just a little different. 
But oftentimes that rise in gen are young people kind of the ages of 20 to 30, sometimes still in college, maybe just recently out of college. And they kind of know about the business or they kind of know about the family operations and the money, but they don't really know that much. We'd like to create forums for them, very specific, starting at very early kind of foundational information, language, vocabulary, and then advance it to kind of wherever people want to go. And the thing we found interesting, Mark, is that um, older generations often want to participate in those too if they didn't have all that kind of baseline information. Uh, the, the one thing I'll just add before, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts is, um, again, know your audience and meet people where they are is really important. And so what we found is a lot of these educational forums, you can talk about it communication cadence and you can do a quarterly email or a bulletin or whatever else you want to do, newsletter. But today's world of education is so different. Look at you and I are on, on a podcast. So we're speaking verbally about an idea. Video, of course, is an absolute paramount way to, to communicate today. We've, we've done um, little snippets and, and, and uh, video educational forums for our rising gen, and I'll also share that with our kind of our now gen. So think about the forum and the platform, because just sending out an email or a newsletter in no way means people are digesting the information. Yeah, I mean, you really you really need that two-way communication oftentimes. Um, it doesn't mean you need to do it all the time. But, you know, your point to education, um, you know, I see this at times with family business executives or even, you know, a family member who's really tasked with the role of, you know, overseeing the investments and the performance of those investments. And, you know, at times I could, they, I don't want to use the word annoyed, but can seem like, listen, I know about the business. And so why do I have to report to my cousin or aunt or uncle right. about what we're doing? And my, my response is usually, listen, they're going to, if you just pick up the phone, call them and explain things and explain the rationale, 99 out of 100 times, they're going to rely on your business judgment. And so really it's partly out of respect. It's partly like they just don't know what's going on. And so if you just inform them of why you're doing X, Y, or Z, it's okay. You know what? That's all I needed to hear. We're fine. Um, it's when you aren't picking up the phone and reaching out is when, you know, that void is really filled with rumors and innuendos and just don't let that happen. Like transparency you know, and sunshine really is the best disinfectant here for a lot of for a lot of that dynamic. So, um, to your point, I think education goes a long way. But but I, I think what you've just described, and I think in education is a tactic of it in the reach out uh, regularly is a is a critical and personal tactic. Also, but ultimately the goal is trust because the reality is that in any organization, particularly one that is in the investment arena. And I don't want to be a doomsdayer here, but you and I both have been in the financial services world long enough. Something disappointing is going to happen, whether it's an investment or or liquidity situation or something that's tricky or difficult or it's going to really require some consensus and trust. And so that's one of the things you constantly have to be aware of, particularly if you're the person, the family member is the person who is um, – perhaps the, you know, the final decision maker on any of this is that that person needs to constantly be cultivating trust within the family, even if it feels like it's a second or third family extension that may not have either a high amount of ownership 
or a high amount of input into the decision making. Trust is really, really important. And non-family executives are going to typically be part of that arena. They're going to be, you know, a big family member is going to be two or three, you know, degrees away, but perhaps could be a problem if that if something doesn't go the way it's supposed to. Making sure that foundation of trust is really important. Exactly. So staying on uh, with that theme of trust. What advice would you give non-family execs to help them ensure objectivity, which, again, in my mind, is partly a, a component of trust, so that objectivity in decision-making while working closely with the family and understanding their personal and business dynamics? Yeah. You know, here's one of the things I'd say. Look, the family office of business, that's a very core principle that Wingspan continues to always reemphasize. And um, while families are incredible and interesting and beautifully dynamic and different. You don't ever want to really design anything around as a workaround. So you have to be mindful that um, you have to construct a process, decision-making structure, oversight, measurement of success that doesn't necessarily do a workaround, an individual or a quirky way the dynamics of the family are but really try to get it objectively designed to be sustainable. I mean, ultimately, that's your job as a non-family executive is to be able to make sure that this is a sustaining organization and it can fulfill whatever the goals are. So trying not to do too many workarounds is is, is complicated, but I think it's a really important thing that family non-family executives need to be mindful. This is a business, and let's design it as if it were a business without necessarily the complexity and irregularities of, of, of families. Having said yeah. that, I think it's also really important to to make sure you you get you set boundaries so you don't get caught up in this, that complexity. Yeah, I mean that's really the only way you could be objective, right? Is if you treat it like a business, have your KPIs and have your metrics tied to something that is objective. Um, so switching gears a little bit, and you know we had discussed a little bit about the elephant in the room and something that nobody really wants to talk about, and so so along those same lines, so succession planning. So what considerations are crucial in the context of succession planning within a family enterprise? And really, how would you advise a non-family business executive to guide the family through that succession planning process? You know, it's so difficult because, of course, you know, um, in family, look, let's just pull back the lens on time really far. And you look at the world that had uh, dynastic controls, whether they're monarchies in Europe or other parts of the world. Um, and there's long traditions of the oldest child and, quite frankly, in most cases, the oldest son being the heir apparent. And I think there's a preconceived kind of brain orientation. Like, that's the way it's going to be. And um, I think that's dangerous thinking because, um, first of all, what you want is to have the most talented person in that next position and maybe the oldest person, male or female, has no interest in that role. And so you're going to force them into a role that they have no interest in. So succession planning is a difficult one, and there's not one formula. But I do think that that bias needs to be acknowledged. And, um, and, and it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a, an opportunity and also perhaps a burden, depending upon the person, you know, that next generation. Uh, but, but not, but succession planning is really important, and you want to make sure that you think about it. Again, you said it right. Phrase mark is that the family office, the family business is a business. It's an enterprise that needs to have measurement, performance metrics, and 
a structure that you can have sustainability because the stakeholders are well beyond just the family. The stakeholders, certainly family businesses include employees in the community. The stakeholders in the family office obviously include those employees and the larger community, you know, who, who are part of that enterprise. Um, so the, the careful consideration to succession planning needs to be made on readiness, capabilities, and um, the direction and mandate of the organization and what that future is and what, who the right person is to, to, to take on that role. Yeah, sage advice. I mean, there's, it, you know, succession planning, again, the elephant in the room, but it's it's a process. And so it should never be looked at as, you know, I was speaking to a family last week, um, just an example, and they were like, listen, we are announcing to our employees and really, you know, as you indicated, the other stakeholders next week that we're elevating two family members to, um, you know, executive roles. And I'm like, well, what was the process? They're like, it's time. But there was no really thought out process of, are they ready? Um, do they, do they want that? Uh, meaning the family members and what is their reaction going to be to the, from the, from the other stakeholders? And it just did not seem like a very well thought out process. Um, yeah. and so, you know, if it's just one moment in time versus a process, um, what is going to be more successful in going with the process? So. You know, Mark, we, we oversaw a succession transition where, um, it was actually the, the younger family member was the, the natural and more kind of, it's the right time for them. But to credentialize them, we did a process. And it was so valuable because we went and talked to lots of different stakeholders, both within the family and the non-family executives, and they, and asked the question, you know, who's, what, what are you looking for for the next leadership? What type of talents? What's the direction of the organization? What kind of person can best fulfill this? And then we talked about objectives and goals. We talked about characteristics and talents. And that language and this, you know, the, the dialogue with both the family and the non-family executives validated the choice of this family member. So that family member walked into that new platform of, you know, raised authority with a lot of people in their head having gone, oh, yeah, that makes the right sense. And, oh, and by the way, I was consulted. My input was provided. I filled out a survey. Whatever the part, part you know, I was interviewed. The process, to your point, validates the choice. And it also buys people in because they feel like they were part of it. And it's such a good way to start a new, particularly, a, a, you know, very senior or high CEO type role because you're validated by a broad community and people have consensus on what the type of leader that they want. And they feel like they've been heard. Again, some of this is, it's like organizational behavior 101. People need to feel like they're engaged and they're, they're participants. Even if they're not like, it's not, a, this is not a democracy necessarily in the succession planning. It's not one person, one vote. But there has to be a process that validates the leader. Yeah, I'll agree with that. So if I'm viewing succession planning, you know, as advancement and switching gears a little bit, what advice would you have for the non-family execs seeking career advancement within a family business? Well, it's, you know, I think, again, we've talked about a lot of the kind of the hot buttons, but I, I let me just say as a starting point, family enterprises, family offices, family businesses can be incredible places for non-family executives. And uh, we have one family that says this kind of stands on the mountain and yells it out loud and he speaks at a lot of conferences because they had had trouble 
leading their family enterprise, their family office with just the family. And they really got stuck and they had a lot of money and they had no plan. And they did a big, very comprehensive review and restructured their governance and they brought in a lot of non-family members. And so this family's phrase, he says, you've got to expand the DNA. You know, non-family members are really critical. So I think you need to, uh, non-family members should know that coming in, that they're critical to the success of the organization. And having said that, you know, I think that, again, going back to some of the the steps that you and I spoke about earlier, you do have to be mindful that um, you have to be attentive to the family. There's oftentimes an authority figure, but there's non-authority figures who are also owners or decision makers who may have some distance. So I think you want to be mindful and respectful of maintaining a relationship with everyone. One of the things I think is really exciting about working for a family enterprise is that you also get to have relationships up and down generations. Oftentimes, there may be a retired grandmother or grandfather who you can have a relationship with. And then the group that I think are, unfortunately, sometimes overlooked are that rising or next gen. And they're important consider people to consider, particularly when, um, you know, in the family office arena, and I'm, I'm sure many of the people who are listening to this have seen this, younger generations today have are pivoting in their interests in, in what they like to invest in, where they'd like to give philanthropically, what their vision, you know, vision for concentrated wealth is, 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 is changing today. And we're seeing that not just in the United States, but globally. Different sense of responsibility for the environment or society. And I think non-family executives need to be tuned in to that change, that trend. Every family isn't this way, so it doesn't mean it's happening to everyone's family, but to be tuned into that trend and to have rapport and the dialogue and whatever type of professional relationship you can with that rising gen. I think it's really important to be able to speak multi-generationally. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I have seen, uh, seen this through somewhat of a different lens at times as well, where the family members are looking, and this happens a little bit more in the family office world, I feel like, where the family members are looking at that, you know, executive or the not family member in the family office, and they're just kind of lax about that person coming on to the family office. Meaning, and what I'm trying to say is, listen, this is a career. This is a part of this individual career, meaning the not family member. And so you're providing that person with an opportunity for career advancement for them, you know, to really support their their own family. Um, and their own desires. And so take it seriously, right? Um, provide them with the environment that is necessary for them to really excel and not just survive and kind of muddle along, but really to help themselves excel, but also really to help your family. Um, and so take it seriously as a family. Don't say, well, listen, this is just family office and we just kind of have it here and they kind of do X, Y, and Z for us. No, it's a real thing for the non-family member. Um, it's a part of it. No, career. I totally agree. Yeah. Yep. And, so, and it's interesting because the family office is just, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, I don't know if it needs a new name <laughs> because it just doesn't feel like it, it's, it feels, it, it, sometimes people think of it as an extra, but it's really a critical, critical platform for sustainability of that concentrated wealth and that, that family's ability to execute on whatever their goals and missions and priorities are. Yep. No, I, I totally agree. Um, 
So perfect. All right. So last one um, before we go. Any last takeaways? You know, I, I mean, you, you, you've said it. I think um, uh, family office professionals, non-family executives and businesses, they're critical members. And at the same time, the perception of that can be uh, not as clear among families. I think uh, stay the course to the non-family executive. You know, if you look at, and I know UBS puts together some really, really compelling uh, data from surveys that you've done. Thank you to all those members who have filled out surveys. I know a lot of people who are listening have done so, so I will tell you we appreciate that. I'm sure you do too, Mark. But the magnitude of wealth that will be transitioning to the next generation in the next 10, 20 years is huge. It has a huge ability to have tremendous impact on the world. And I think members of, of the community who are listening to this, the non-family executives are really, really valuable in that. And so I, I just, I, I thank them for all the hard work they're doing. I hope they're not in audience, families that don't appreciate the value that they are. I hope they're in a family like the one I mentioned that says, expand the DNA. That's how it works. And, um, and if, if that's not the case, uh, you know, continue to con- demonstrate the value that you're offering because you're extraordinarily important. So Marianne, I want to thank you again for sitting down with me today. Um, discussing all this, you know, the elephant in the room. And thank you everyone for listening. As always, if you have any questions about anything you heard throughout our discussion today, or if you have any questions about Family Health Solutions, please reach out to your UBS Private Wealth Advisor. Thank you all and have a great rest of your day. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 